We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, the Suns are now one and zero against the Dallas Mavericks. How you feeling? I feel great. You you find people at home. Thought we were going to let you down for this one, maybe, and not put this out, but we figured <laughs> it out. Unfortunately, some some technical difficulties delayed our initial release, but here we are to talk about Mike. What I think was uh, a, a game that you rarely see in the playoffs, at least when when you're facing a, a respected opponent. Uh, a game where they made you sweat in the final couple minutes, but other than that, coast to coast, not too much pressure on the Suns. Uh, they were uh, they were steady. What'd you think? Even in the final minutes, I I didn't feel nervous at all. It just felt like the Suns were playing like NFL style prevent defense, <laughs> just sort of being like, all right, don't get injured. Let's let this game end. Don't get injured, and then we can go into the next game. But yeah, they they were very. You know, the Suns, I think they've won every game one in every series they've played since Chris Paul got here, right? They Because they won in the finals. They won, obviously, they swept. They beat great, the Lakers. That's a great point. They, they? Yeah. They seem to be pre- really well prepared for every game one, which is a credit, I think, to the team and, of course, to Monty Williams to prepare them at least for that initial game one. And I think after the Pelicans series... This looked like the Suns. You know, it's it just sort of highlighted how the... I mean, credit to Willie Green as well, but how the matchup difficulties versus the Pelicans were really a lot larger than they are <laughs> versus the Dallas Mavericks because a lot of the weaknesses the Suns had were weaknesses that the Pelicans could take advantage of and not necessarily mm-hmm. the Mavericks. Although, of course, Luka Doncic was amazing, they don't yep. really have the offensive rebounding. They can't really get nope. to the free throw line 10 times more <laughs> than the Suns on a regular nope. basis. You know, the depth issues are the same. But, like, outside of that, those two things that the Pelicans did very well against the Suns were just really obvious. And and, and the Mavericks, you know, I, I said it at the end of our preview episode. 
this feels like an offensive execution series where whichever team really executes their offense really well throughout the course of the series is the one that's going to have the upper hand. And I think that played out at least so far in game one. Yeah, I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back too much because it's one game, but just in terms of throwing the first punch, it sort of played out, I think, exactly like we both expected. There were there were little things, you know, defensive assignments and whatever that yeah. we spent two-thirds of last episode talking about. <laughs> However, you know, I'll point back to what I said on the preview episode, which is that the Suns are in a unique uh, advantageous position over this team and that they are faster and more physical and deeper at the same time. And very rarely do you get a case where all three of those things are true in a series. Usually if you're the slower team, it's because you're the grit and grind style physical team like the New Orleans Pelicans, for instance, like uh, the classic Memphis Grizzlies type teams, and that you are posing you're giving up something against faster teams, younger teams potentially, but you're also getting something back in return. Dallas is struggling with a lot of different areas at once and you hit the nail on the head, 13 offensive rebounds for Phoenix to only seven for the Dallas Mavericks in game one does not point to uh, a very clean kind of <laughs> uh, ability for the Mavericks going forward. Mm-hmm. I, I would point out also, let me pull up the team stats real quick. The fast break points, actually, I was expecting to be more in favor of Phoenix. It was 12 to 11, narrowly in favor of Dallas, but you kind of saw their style of play. They showed yeah. their hand last night. Yeah. They're not leaking out uh, 12 fast break points in the entire team. I think that was because Phoenix uh, was only able to generate a couple of steals and they weren't really able to play their traditional game. So they were reduced more to a half court execution team. But as the series progresses, I could easily see it being the case where the Suns are winning in both of those statistics. They're getting more fast break points and they're winning uh, on the offensive glass and in addition to that, Mike, and this is huge, Luka Doncic just looked gassed by the end of the fourth quarter. I know that Dallas made a run. It was a respectable run. They absolutely made it a game. But on one end, you have Luka, who plays 44 minutes, and by the end of the game was taking like 10 seconds just to walk the lengths of like, you know, one quarter end of the court to the other quarter end of the court. You know what, I'm, you know what I mean? Like taking mm-hmm. 10 seconds mm-hmm. just to get past the half court, not pushing in transition, not rushing back on defense because it was so obvious what the burden on him on both ends was. And on the other end, you have Chris Paul who played 29 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Chris Paul who shouldered such a heavy burden in the Pelican series that the Suns basically just want to wrap him in bubble wrap at this point <laughs> and make sure that he can get through this series, uh, you know, for the for the most important ones. To have a game where Mikhail Bridges, obviously, he still does his Ironman thing. He played 42 minutes. Devin Booker, good to see him playing 38 minutes and looking relatively fresh coming off of the injury. But for Chris Paul to only play 29 minutes, for even like DeAndre Ayton to only play 33 minutes, it's huge. There's an obvious depth advantage that you have here. The Suns were actually able to not embrace the full stagger in this game. They ran lineups of Campaign and Landry Shamit being the backcourt in the early second quarter. And then I think they did it once more, like in the late third quarter or something, against bench lineups or, or lineups of like Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie for the Mavs. And albeit... Those lineups did not look great. Like, they still did not, you know, I think Campaign had a better game. It wasn't like they were cooking them or anything. At best, they were staying neutral. But the fact that you can even put those bench lineups out there and stay neutral against this team is a huge plus if you're Phoenix. It really allows you to preserve Chris Paul a little bit more, allow him to take his game up a notch, 
when you need it in the fourth quarter. I thought it was really smart of Monty to let campaign ride for a while in the end of the first quarter and the beginning of the second quarter because, I mean, for two reasons. Obviously, you want to get Chris Paul rest when you can. And look, they won the game in in this game, and that's all that matters. And Chris Paul was able to play 29 minutes. It's insane. Under 30 minutes is crazy. But the other part of that is campaign had a good stretch there in the first first and second quarter. And getting his confidence back is huge for this yep. team. So him having a good streak of playing and then Monty letting it ride for a while to ensure that he understands that he can be back, I think was was massive. And I think I mean, both both cam both cams played well. Like both the guys off the bench, even JaVale, of course, oh, who yeah. I think is still gonna be yeah. a problem in this series and still might not be playing by game three. I still think that the bench overall played really well in this game. But the the most important thing I think for this team going forward, this series or beyond, you know, they just got to win the series first. But the the most important thing bench wise is that campaign and Cameron Johnson are playing well. Campaign had a great stretch. Cameron Johnson looked like Cameron Johnson. It was, I think the first time that we've seen Cameron Johnson look like Cameron Johnson since he was injured against the Knicks. And that's massive, massive, massive for the Suns. But let me just, let's just talk through this game from the beginning because in the first quarter, First of all, you were right. Devin Booker on Jalen Brunson. And uh, Mikael Bridges think? on Luka Doncic. I thought it was great. I, I mean, I don't know how sustainable... Look, Jalen Brunson had a bad game. And he's going to have good games <laughs> at some point. And the Suns have to sustain a good Jalen Brunson game in order to beat True. this team as well. So, I just thought they on, did on a the really other good hand. job against him in this game. But one thing I like that they did, yeah. and then I'll let you go here. Yeah, is yeah, they sure. played Luca as straight up as possible at first, at the very least. I think they started helping maybe a little too much as the game went along. But they made every pass really difficult for Luca in the first quarter. And that resulted in like three turnovers in the first like four minutes of the game for Luca Doncic. By the way, he ended with five turnovers, which I don't think is right. <laughs> I think he had, I remember at one point the broadcast said he had six turnovers. I looked at the box score and it said he had four. I'm not sure what's going on with the the box score as far as turnovers go, but I don't think that that number was exactly right. But to mm. to be able to play Luca one on one, make every pass as difficult as possible, I think was really big for the Suns getting out to a big lead early. Yeah, Luca was exceptional. I, I guess if we're going to go in this direction, um, what was what was his final stat line? Forty five points, twelve rebounds, eight assists. Uh, the box score watchers are already frustrating me in the in this game a little bit because I knew this would happen. Obviously, as we ex- as we expected, Mikhail Bridges starts each possession on Luka Doncic. Luka scores forty five points, so the natural logic for a lot of people is to say, "Oh well, Luka he he cooked Mikhail." Now, here's here's honest truth: he had some good possessions on Mikhail, but if you look at the tracking data from today with how much the Suns were switching, it was exactly what we expected to happen. Mm-hmm. The Suns, as the game went on, and you're right to point this out. They were willing to concede switches throughout the entire game, and as the game came uh, goes on, they were having kind of they would concede the initial switch, but then Mikhail would kind of just slip out into space, and he wouldn't hard trap, but he would kind of just lurk in an area where he could zone up on Luca a little bit more. And credit to Luca because the fact that he was still able to score forty five points under that situation is obviously phenomenal but for a lot of Luca's buckets it wasn't like oh he's going straight at Mikhail Bridges what you know this is what I hate about NBA Twitter <laughs> discourse like what he was actually doing that was so smart is utilizing 
uh, whether it was just his high screen pick and roll or whether it was ghost screens coming from wings, he yeah. was picking his matchup and making sure that it was anyone but Mikhail Bridges who was guarding him. So, <laughs> like, he actually, low-key, he did cook Cam Johnson last night. He did. And yeah. I don't think that necessarily speaks to a frightening level of of where we should be at with Cam Johnson's defensive impact. I'm not, like, super worried about it. But he did cook Cam Johnson in Game 1. Uh, he did have some nice shots where he was able to get switches on smaller guards like campaign or Chris Paul or, or who be it. So he, all, I just want to be very clear. He only scored a small portion of those 45 points on Mikhail Bridges because the Suns still are willing to concede that switch. But then the other thing that was interesting about their defensive game plan, when you talk about that help, that Mikhail comes up and then he helps, I, I think it's kind of interesting on Monty's part because it is a little bit counterintuitive to what you would what you would expect and I think what we expected where the 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 school of thought that says, well, just let Luca cook one-on-one for the entire game, for the entire series, close off everything else, make sure you're guarding all the shooters, and you have an easy win, right? And even though Luca did go off regardless, I, I think it was at the end of the... Was Monty interviewed at the end of the first quarter, the end of the third quarter? I think it was the end of the third quarter where he said something kind of counterintuitive and being like, we want to avoid rotations by pressuring the ball. Normally, you would think that... If you're pressuring the ball, you're putting yourself into or you're giving the offense two on one scenarios where they can break things down, say, in the short roll. They can get you into rotation earlier. Monty was kind of saying, actually, we want to cut off the head of the snake by applying as much pressure as possible to Luca when he's coming off those ball screens. And we trust in the ability of our rotations to get out and guard shooters even after that, which I thought was kind of interesting. And if that, if, you know, I think it basically worked in game one, Dallas still shot pretty well, 41%. So there's potential there for it to swing games in the other direction as you go on, if you leave too many shooters open. But at least in game one, with the exception of JaVale McGee, who absolutely cannot guard Maxi Kleba, the Suns did a pretty good job of containing uh, uh, Dallas's shooters and also still trying to kind of at least make Luca feel an extra body. He's going to make shots, a lot of them being difficult shots, but at least play up in the passing lanes, try and force a couple extra turnovers, and make your presence felt in some way. Just put up some resistance. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. There was one play in particular where Luka Doncic called for a screen from Chris Paul's man. Mikel Bridges was on Luka Doncic. And uh, they switched. And then the guy that normally they would switch on, which would be Mikel Bridges' man after the switch, sort of half-heartedly rolled into the paint. And what Mikel Bridges did is he looked at Cam Johnson and he pointed at the guy that was half-heartedly rolling to the paint. And then he X'd out with the shooter that was the closest to Luka Doncic. So he didn't follow the guy that would be the normal switch. And he stayed on the shooter that was the closest to Luka Doncic. So even when they had a switch with Mikael Bridges off of Luka, Luka, they basically scr- immediately scram switched to put Mikael on the person that was the closest to Luka Doncic, who was in the best position to help off of which I thought was really smart. And also, it takes a lot <laughs> of focus. In fact, one thing about this series so far that I think is going to be a common theme is the difference between the Utah Jazz and the Suns when it comes to two things, Xing out and rotating. And I think that I, I need to do something with Xing out because we talk about it a lot. And I think this would be a great series to pull some film on and show people exactly what we mean when we talk about Xing out. Because what the Suns are doing, if they're helping, that means there's two guys on the ball and the rest of the defenders essentially have to zone up on shooters and rollers and basically guard two people at once to ensure that once the ball starts rotating, the player that is helping has time to rotate to the shooter that's farthest away from the ball, which I think is a remarkable thing. It's something that happened in the last game. It's happening in this game. A great example would be when Mikel Bridges blocked Reggie Bullock in the corner. Oh, one my the, God. <laughs> one of the most Oh, my God. Yeah. But, but you think Crazy about this. Highlight. Mikel Bridges helps on the ball. Two guys on the ball. The ball swings, swings, swings. Mikel Bridges goes from essentially the top of the key to the corner in a fraction of the second in order the, to the contest opposite. that shot. Yeah, and the opposite side top of the key to the corner. Yeah. Like, not the strong side to the corner, the weak side to the corner. It was insane. And so, essentially, what the Suns do, if they help onto the ball and the ball swings, what they're trying to do is everyone rotate to the shooters that are the closest to the ball. So, as the ball swings, whoever has to rotate to the furthest end, so op- the opposite corner often, has time to rotate out to that shooter. 
And it's a it's one of the hardest rotations in basketball because essentially you're helping on the left wing and then you have to guard the right corner. And it's often Mikel Bridges, right? Mikel Bridges helps on the ball and then has to sprint to the other side of the of the floor in order to contest the shooter. And the Suns are just really great at that. And every player has to be good at it because the the way you have to rotate and the fact that Luka Doncic can can throw skip passes essentially can try and skip that rotation to find the shooter with a single pass means the Suns not only have to guard the shooters, Xing out, zoning up, but they also have to get their hands into the passing lanes. And to be able to do both of those things simultaneously, and then on the other end of that, have a defender like Mikel Bridges, who's able to find the way to contest the way that he does on the rotation, is just a really great thing. And, it, and look, they have to be really crisp, they have to be really smart, and they have to continue to do it. Because even in this game, where I think they did well, the reality is the Mavs shot really well. They had a great shooting game. Really, the only guy who had, who really underperformed offensively, I think, is Jalen Brunson. You know, arguably Spencer Dinwiddie could do better, but he wasn't great in the last series as well. So we'll see if this is what he is or if he can find a way to have a great game going forward. But Jalen Brunson was great in the last series. So the recent data shows that he can be better. So the fact that the Mavs still shot well, even as the Suns, I think, played good defense on their shooters, and the Suns still found a way to win, I think is a, it's a pretty good sign for the Suns. So you know in the, what's... Mm-hmm, go yep. ahead. No, keep going. Keep going. In, in the future, if Jalen Brunson has a good game, maybe oh, yeah. the shooting will even out a little bit. Maybe they won't shoot as well, right? And that's, the, that's an easy pass, path for victory yeah. for the Suns as well. Yeah, I mean, Jalen could shoot way, way, way better. I... I'm going to be very impressed if Maxi Kleba continues to shoot 70% from three for another series straight. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I would be a little bit surprised. And, and, you know, I don't think we need to dwell on that too much. He had a great game. I think the if you want the uh, the adjustment to that, it's pretty obvious. Just play JaVale McGee a little bit less, you know. And th- that's not going to happen, though, right? I, I mean, I'd do it, but whatever. I know you don't like Corey <laughs> Craig now. Like, you're on. T- you're a bonafide Tory Craig hater from <laughs> every minute he's played read, in the playoffs so. <laughs> every minute he's played in the playoffs has been bad a- and I want him to be good but it Look, just hasn't I can't good. I can't slander JaVale too much after delivering possibly the highlight of <laughs> one of the highlights of the playoffs so far with uh stripping Luca on one end and then going coast to coast for a jam I mean you know biz for all his strengths Bismack Biombo is not going to do that Tory Craig <laughs> no. probably isn't going to do that either so you know, credit to JaVale there. I, I, he just has to get out faster. That's like my frustration. It's, you know, just get out faster. Make the rotation. You're so long, um, but he just hesitates a little bit. He really, really, really feels comfortable underneath the rim and doesn't like going out to the shooter. So, you know, I think Kleba's going to... If if he keeps being matched up with JaVale, he will continue to be a volume shooter. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Does that mean yeah. he's going to make 50% of his threes? No, but it might mean that he goes Maybe. out there for 15 minutes. He could. It, it might mean that he goes out there for 15, 20 minutes and hoists up seven or eight threes every single game this series, though, if JaVale doesn't go out there and make an attempt <laughs> at guarding them. Yeah, well, that's so, the thing is, is, will he make 50% of his threes? It's easy to say no, but the, the reality is not a single one was contested. I know. If they're open. It's not like we're I, making I, a di- if we were making it more difficult, I'd have more confidence that he would shoot under 50%, but once, I think there's a possibility he can. One slight X's and O's thing that I want to give credit to the Mavs and I guess Jason Kidd for is um, the, a lot of NBA teams are doing this now. We've talked about it in the past, but they've, they've really, really nailed this. They're really, really good at catching the Suns off guard once the Suns are already in rotation, right? By having a big 
kind of run along the baseline and then set that like pin and flare screen that you would see like as if it's like in a hammer action, for instance, so that there's always a corner shooter open. So like if a guy has to come out from say it's JaVale and he's in the paint, and I think this literally happened to him with Kleba one time, I forget who was setting the screen, might have been when he was sharing minutes with Powell at the same time. But if JaVale has to make a late rotation coming out from the paint and Kleba's in the corner, they just always have a body there setting the screen for him already. And it kind of catches you with your pants down a little bit, or at least it did with the Suns in game one. Um, so it's a good good way for them to generate some open threes in a way that's a little bit more inventive that's not just, oh, yeah, we're playing five out and here's yeah. Luca with the ball and there's three guys you know standing around the perimeter with their with their hands down. It's, it's a little bit more interesting than that. I, so something to watch out for. At one point, I think Jalen Brunson was setting a, a, a pin down screen for a Maxi Kleba three. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. that's how that's how good Kleba's been uh, from the three point line so far in the playoffs. And I think he missed yeah. that one, but it was still like a, a, an eye popping thing to see because it's like the smallest guy on the court setting a screen, and that's for, that's for the really largest guy need. on the court to shoot a shot. I mean, ultimately, we're talking about. Um, the Mavs had 16 assists in, in game one to Phoenix's 27. So, you know, other than kind of the isolation, which we expected, and the high screen pick and roll, which we expected, like, that's maybe the only other sign, <laughs> I think, that we saw of some level of creativity in their offense. They desperately need creativity in their offense, something that can generate some ball movement, some off-screen movement. And so, you know, I just want to point that out because I thought it was a good example of it. But I want to respond to something very important that we haven't brought up yet, because you said you think there are two things that distinguish the Suns and the Mavs, um, or or sorry, the Suns and the Jazz as opponents for the Mavs, and you put it very eloquently, but you did not bring up a third thing, and that is that DeAndre Ayton is not Rudy Gobert. Oh, man. He was so great, man. <laughs> DeAndre Ayton is not Rudy Gobert. No one thought he was Rudy Gobert at this point. In fact, even Jason Kidd himself said that the Suns bigs are not the Jazz bigs, which is pretty crazy that he even said that before game one when he was yeah. asked by a reporter. Especially when they're rumored to be uh, like trading for Rudy Gobert in the summer at some point. So so in a way, you get this weird situation where you're going into the series and the Mavs should have seen it coming. I mean, I think they already did see it coming. I think if they didn't see it coming, you know, something we didn't see last night is we saw, I think at most a couple minutes of Dorian Finney-Smith at the five, but never while DeAndre Ayton was on the floor. So... That is an indication that Jason Kidd at least has some semblance of an idea of the personnel he's working with and knows that he can't he can't give the Suns a complete gift like that. Even so, it was still a bit of a rude awakening. I mean, they had no way to stop DeAndre Ayton. Whether it was Powell, whether it was Kleba, they don't have the rim protection. They don't have the, the, the power, the foot speed, whatever. 12 of 20 shooting. Overall is what Aiton finished with, but I think he was like 12 for 15 at one point. Uh, I mean, he destroyed them systematically in the first half. Not a ton of games in his career with over 20 field goal attempts. In fact, in the regular season, the last time he had a game with over 20 field goal attempts was his monster game against Minnesota. We all remember where he dominated Cat, had 35 points. But before that, the last time he had a game with over 20 field goal attempts in the regular season was February of 2020. So a long time ago in his second year. So Aiton finding a way to get that many shots off in a playoff game, I think is massive. And he just carried the offense. I mean, he led the team in scoring. 
zero assists in this game, which is a surprise, but I'm going to point that out as a good stat because there was one point where he got the offensive rebound under the basket after after one of his own misses, I think, and he caught it, and Jay Crowder was wide open in the corner. Jay Crowder had a great game, by the way, and old Aiton would have immediately passed Jay Crowder in the corner. New Aiton, <laughs> what we've seen of Aiton this year, just turned and hooked it up into the rim and got two points, an, an easy mm-hmm. two points. And I think that's growth for him because now he is seeing a smaller guy on him under the rim as being wide open, whereas I think he, before he saw that as being defended. And I think the difference now is that he'll just turn it into two points, and that two points now goes in at like a 70% rate at that close to the rim. So he needs to shoot that because it's, I mean, it's better than a Jay Crowder three. Even in a game like this where Jay Crowder is finally hitting threes, the way that Aiton can believe <laughs> Thank in God, him, by the way. <laughs> yeah, the way that Aiton can believe in himself offensively is huge. And look, the people who said it's all about confidence with DeAndre Aiton were right. <laughs> I really think they were right. Well, they, it, was, it was never about ability. It, it's I, just confidence for yeah. DeAndre. And once he showed up, I think pregame, wearing like a full face mask that covered his entire face. I knew the Mavs were in trouble. <laughs> I knew the Mavs were in trouble because DeAndre Ayton was coming into that game feeling pretty confident, I would say. And then he, yeah. he came in and had, I think, probably, I don't know, maybe it was the, one of the best offensive performances he's had in the playoffs so far. I'm not sure what his playoff high is. I imagine he's probably had more than 25 points, maybe even against the Lakers in the first round last year. But I would say this is the, the types of shots he was getting. He even hit like a... a 18 foot shot at the expiration of the shot clock at some point Mm -hmm. saving an offensive possession that was a disaster for the Suns and for him to be the guy that's taking the shot at the end of the shot clock and everyone watching as far as Suns fans feeling confident in him uh, is just it's massive and and the importance that he has to this team now offensively is nothing like I mean last year of course he was the rim roller but the the types of shots he's taking this year are totally different. It would actually be pretty interesting to compare his like hot zones this year uh, to last year's playoff run, just to see how different they are. I imagine it's getting further and further away from the basket with him. And yeah, uh, I, the fact that I, I feel we, confident in that is pretty cool. We could verify that pretty easily, but you know, you just have a feeling like it's less at the rim and more five to nine feet where the hook shot is 10 to 14 feet where the short jumper slash floater is like right in that area still centered so not necessarily favoring any particular direction away from the basket, but that's that's the area for DeAndre, and we all know what it is at this point. And it's so encouraging to see because as you talk about adjustments and we go through the series, his touch is just so goddamn steady because it was great to see Jay Crowder hit threes tonight. It was great to see the Suns hit threes in general tonight. They shot 39% from deep. There may very well be games in this series where they drop back down and they shoot 20 or 25% from deep as a series, but if there's anything you can fall back on and maybe even still win in a game like that, it's DeAndre Ayton's touch in the paint because the Mavs, what's the adjustment? They don't, they have no one who can guard that, you know, <laughs> like what are they going to yeah. do? Well, I thought was what we've seen in the playoffs and every team gets to a point where they're like, okay, well we can't guard Devin Booker. So let's just put our best defender on Chris Paul and see if we could slow Chris Paul down at the very least make the Suns take longer to get into their sets. You know, this is, I think, the biggest sure. adjustment that the Bucks made that every team now, you know, playing against the Suns probably went back and watched Bucks film 
and they're trying yeah. to to do what the Bucks did against the Suns. So at this at some point in this game, you know, we talked about it in our playoff preview. I said Reggie Bullock's going to be on Chris Paul. You know, we talked about how that affected everyone else, but I, I came back to it. Reggie Bullock is on Chris Paul. <laughs> That's a good thing he's, for Chris Paul. And Reggie now Reggie Bullock's not that guy. He's also he's not, not that guy. He's not he, a screen navigator, not, right? There's, he didn't. Know, it, 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 he didn't impact the passing lanes. Like he's not an Alvarado type. He's not this kind of quick. He he fouled out in 33 minutes, I think, <laughs> in game one. Yeah. Also, just for a theory, is this why Frank Nilakina played? Like was well, this? Yeah, just it could like, be. I mean, because he played, the he played trouble. two minutes. Which and is not going to happen, kinda right? Just like, <laughs> was it kind of just like kid throwing in anything he had left at the wall? Because he didn't play at all, I think, in their series against the Jazz. Yeah, I, I doubt he's going to see much. But yeah, foul trouble probably had something to do with it. But in the second half, they switched Dorian Finney-Smith onto Chris Paul, Reggie Bullock onto Devin Booker. Booker slowed down a little bit. I don't think it had a lot to do with Reggie Bullock. I just think... They just lost their focus a little bit when they were up by like 20 points and then they let the Mavs back in it to make a fake close game by the end uh, or just like mess with betters' minds, I think, a little bit. But I think I, I, what I would be interested to see adjustments-wise is will the Mavs start the next game with Dorian Finney-Smith on Chris Paul and Reggie Bullock on Devin Booker when they both start the game together the way they started the second half and do they have confidence in that working because Dorian Finney-Smith is is a better defender than Reggie Bullock but both guys are kind of too big to stay in front of Chris Paul on on ball screens so right. if the Suns have the opportunity to prepare for that I think two things will happen I think Reggie Bullock has no chance to even contest Devin Booker's shot if he's rising and Devin Booker, by the way, looked healthy. Uh, so Reggie Bullock has no chance of contesting. And then on the other end of that, Chris Paul is going to run him through 15 screens. And there, there's a chance Dorian Finney-Smith will be in foul trouble by the beginning of the third quarter. Uh, with Chris Paul knowing that Dorian Finney-Smith could be on him for the entirety of the game. I just They don't really have anyone to, to put on Chris Paul. I wonder if at some point, if this doesn't work in game two, I wonder if at some point they just put... Jalen Brunson on him and try to just it, try to make Jalen Brunson be as big of a pest as possible and even that I don't know if it's gonna work I just can't really think of any options they have for Chris Paul and we saw him in this game 20, 29 minutes he's gonna get more minutes at some point in this series and play really well I think at the end of the day it doesn't matter because they only have those two guys anyway and so what we are neglecting in the conversation is it doesn't matter who you put Dorian Finney-Smith on and who you put Reggie yeah. Bullock on if you're also hiding Jalen Brunson on Mikhail Bridges where there's another mismatch for the Suns. And if you're putting Luka Doncic on Jay Crowder who is consistently inserting himself into the Suns' offense as a screener so that he can force switches and the Suns can attack Luka Doncic directly. Like, no matter where he is on the floor, you got, you're going to play Luka 45 minutes this series per game because you have to. And he's always going to be on the floor and the Suns are always going to feel confident about their ability to exploit that offensively. And there's no adjustment for that. Um, Jalen Brunson can hold his own against smaller players, but if you put him on Mikhail Bridges, there could be Mikhail Bridges' game eventually. Davis Bertans played 10 minutes in this game. Like, if you wanted to play your best defense, Davis Bertans needs to play zero minutes. <laughs> but, you know, how much more can you really ride out of your guys? This yeah. is going to be a tough, physical fast yeah intense series for dallas where i think there is going to be a compounding effect where maybe not so much in game two 
but by game four, by game five, remember, Mike, there is not a single uh, additional off day of rest for these guys throughout yeah. the series. It's every They're going every other day for as long as this series needs to go because they're trying to grind, the NBA is, uh, and, and finish this season out on time with what the NBA final schedule is. Uh, typically ending, you know, towards the back half of June. So there's not going to be rest to come in and save these guys. They don't have an additional day of rest going from Phoenix to Dallas. By games four or five or six, if it takes that long, they're going to be really fucking tired. <laughs> at, at one point, the Mavs were playing without a center on the floor. JaVale McGee was on the floor for the Suns. Dorian Finney-Smith was essentially at center for the Mavs, Chris Paul was dribbling the ball up. He immediately called for Mikael Bridges to screen, and that put Jalen Brunson on Chris Paul. And then once Jalen Brunson was on Chris Paul, Chris Paul looked to the other side of the floor, called Jay Crowder up to screen. Now all of a sudden you have a Chris Paul-Jay Crowder pick and roll, and the two defenders are Luka Doncic and Jalen Brunson. And just it just to me that single play highlighted how the Suns will pick on whoever the worst defenders are, even if it takes multiple switches for it to happen. They'll put Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic into a pick and roll if there's no big in there to pick on, because essentially in that case the big to pick on is Luka Doncic, and that resulted in a uh, a missed shot by Chris Paul, but that turned into an offensive foul on the rebound by JaVale McGee. But the fact that they immediately took advantage of the single time they played without a center, I think, is massive. Uh, you Put have any way. other... Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just close up by saying this. Suns played objectively a shit fourth quarter in terms of the fact that their offensive execution broke down. Their shots did not fall. Dallas was able to get back into the game. I do think they lifted their foot off the gas pedal a little bit, and that contributed to that. But... I'm not betting on them having any worse of a series fourth quarter execution wise based on Dallas's personnel than they've had against any other team this season, which is to say that they've had success against every team they've played yesterday. They improved to a 50 and O perfect record when leading the game after three quarters. Uh, You know who this team is in the fourth quarter game. One was an aberration in that aspect. And yeah, let's go. I think uh, I feel really strong after game one. And I think uh, everyone else should, too. I agree. I agree. Glad we were able to get a podcast out. We appreciate you guys for listening. If you haven't already, you can sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash the timeline. We will be doing game three, the first away game, on playback. So you can watch the game with us with our analysis live during the game. And, of course, as long as everything goes well, we'll be back after every game (laughs) with the regular game recap we appreciate you guys we'll be back soon whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.